What's up, Chiefs Kingdom? This is your boy, Chris Style. You were tuned in to the Arrowhead Chief Podcast. Thank you for tuning in and listening, whether you're at the house, in your car, at work, working out. I appreciate you taking out the time to listen to me talk about our Kansas City Chiefs. We got a lot to get into. Um, talk about the draft this week. It is finally here, out here in Las Vegas, Nevada. I will be at the first day of the draft Thursday. A lot of festivities are going on out here in Vegas. Um, uh, and I'm excited for. I'm excited for our Kansas City Chiefs. What the, with the 12 picks and the, uh, that they have, are they going to move up? Are they going to move back? Uh, are they going to get some quality? impact players in this draft because this is a very important draft probably the most important draft i wouldn't say the offseason but the most important draft of um brett Veach's tenure as a gm um with the whole uh trade for tyreek hill um he's got to turn these 12 picks and he's got to turn these 12 picks not get 12 players but turn these 12 picks into impact players. At least two to three impact players have to come from this draft, uh, not just this year, but moving forward. So, Brett Veach, he had a, a press conference last Friday talking about uh, his overall philosophy of the draft, talked about a Tyreek Hill deal, talked about Tyron Matthew, and talked about Orlando Brown. So, let's listen to what his overall philosophy going into the draft. No, we, um, you know, we're excited about, you know, the talent we have on the roster. We're also excited about the prospects in this draft class. And um, I think it's, uh, we've shown every, every indication of, you know, where we're going with this thing and we're going to build for the draft and, and having 12 picks and having flexibility year in and year out is something um, that we're certainly putting a lot of stock in. And, and like I said, we're excited to add uh, talent on both sides of the football and, and work through the draft and, and get young and, and get deep. He also talked about how many number of uh, prospects are on their board in the first round. I think it's I think there's a lot of similarities to last draft, I think we have right around 16, 18 names on our on our front board as first round picks, and um, picking there at 29, 30, you know, the odds of you know maybe one of those guys falling um, isn't isn't great. But at the same time, you know, we're probably not factoring quarterbacks that, that most teams do. Um, I'm sure there's quarterbacks worthy of first round grade, which is obviously not going in that direction. But I think similar to last year, I think when you look at value in this draft, um, you know, 30 to 60 is really good. Um, you know. It, we were able to get Nick Bolton and Creed Humphrey last year. I think there'll be a lot of value uh, similar to that. I think a lot of really good players in that second, third round. So his overall philosophy uh, coming into this draft is that they have 16 to 18 guys on their board as far as first-round picks. Um, I do expect that the Kansas City Chiefs, with one of those picks, will move up in the draft, whether it be defensive end, whether it be wide receiver, whether it be corner. I just believe it's, it depends on how the board falls. If, if if wide receiver gets to flying off the board, I think they move up to go get their guy, get a guy that they, that they love. If defensive end gets to flying off the board, but wide receiver is dropping a little bit, I do think that they go up and go get the defensive end. Same thing with corner. Um, if defensive end and wide receiver are flying, if, if, if defensive end and corner are kind of, you know, the market is falling to where the, the guy that they want looks like he might fall a little bit um, or the guys that they see on their board is falling a little bit, I do think they may jump up and go get a corner. Um, so he also talked about the prospect, what dictates him moving up in this draft i think again it goes back to uh just the unknowns and how the dominoes fall we see it every year i think um i don't know if it was last year or the year before it was we had a, a weird dynamic where the board kind of fell off it usually never falls off like you have it so most teams deviate in some degree in, in how they have their board and how you have your board but I, I don't know if it was last year or the year before it was like every guy we had in the first round went like that and you know if it happens like that then it's hard to envision you know a, a trade-up but Typically what happens, the board do deviate and they are different. Um, and then when you find value of, 
you know, we talk about 16, 18 guys being valued in the first round, and all of a sudden, you know, you get to picks 19, 20, 21, and there's still some of those guys on the board. I think you make a decision and see if you can m- maybe find a trade partner. Um, if those 16 guys are off the board by the time you get to 19, 20, 21, then, you know, I think it kind of drives the narrative to just stay put and, and just collect the assets. Uh, um, you know, I don't probably foresee a huge jump up um, just throwing a haymaker and trying to get in the top 10. I, I mean, it's, unless something unforeseen happens, unforeseen happens i would say that you know um we'll be flexible and and we'll let the board talk to us and if there's value we will and if not we'll just stay put so like he said he you know if like i said reiterate he pretty much reiterated what i just said if the board falls to him in a way to where he needs to move up he will move up and we all know that brett veach is very aggressive guy um he you know the past few years he was aggressive and um, in the beginning of the presser, you know, before the first part that I played, you know, Adam Teicher uh, of ESPN um, asked him, you know, you know, you're usually aggressive. Um, are you going to move up to, you know, are you going to trade away that first round pick? Because he's done that the past few years with Frank Clark. He's done it with Orlando Brown. Um, even in the draft, he's moved up and, and grabbed guys that he wants. Uh, Miko Hardman. Um, so, Brett Veach is a very aggressive guy, a GM. He's known for that. Um, so uh, don't be surprised in the first round or any of these rounds that Brett Veach wants to move up. But he also talked about balancing out this offense in the offseason with free agency in the draft, but more so free agency and um, how he goes about doing that. I mean, it's it's a balancing act for sure, and, and I think that um... – you know, certainly every organization is driven to, you know, acquire depth and, and acquire youth. I think, um, you know, there are factors that come into play when you talk about veteran players and, and what they're able to add in regards to leadership and, and off-the-field intangibles that sometimes um, you can't put a price on. And, you know, you also factor in the injury history of players, and um, there are outliers, and knock on wood, like Travis Kelsey is just a um, – a rare example of that where he's just, you know, the best at what he does and he continues to do it year after year. So there's always outliers to the equation, but I think it's just a balancing act. So basically he's saying it's a balancing act to try to get free, you know, when to not be aggressive, when to be aggressive, when to go after guys, um, the value of the guy in free agency, the, you know, um, is it smart to sign this guy, bring him in, be a, you know, in, in our organization, um, he also talked about with the Tyreek Hill deal, we're going to get into that, but with the Tyreek Hill deal and with a letting go of somebody like the Honey Badger, is this a reset of the roster? Um, well, I, I think, and I've said this before, I think um, when you have Pat Mahomes, I think we're wired to, to go after it every year. And even though you make may make moves and may trade really good players, um, it doesn't mean that there'll be a counterpunch and that we'll try to, you know, be aggressive in another way. I, I think you just have to be smart and, and, and flexible with what you do. And I think, um, the, you know, what's needed to do that is draft resources and cap space. And so just because you trade away great player doesn't mean, you know, we're in a rebuilding mode by any means. It means that we're just going to find a new set of resources and, and try to become aggressive. So basically he's saying that this is not a reset. This is just us reset, uh, taking those draft picks that we traded for with Tyreek Hill and um, getting younger and going to get more resources on both sides of the football, not just one side, not just a wide receiver, but get a wide receiver, get a corner, get a defensive end, get a, a safety, maybe get another offensive lineman, get another running back in the later rounds, or, you know, Get a tight end. You need a hair parent for a tra- You know, speaking of Travis Kelsey that he reiterated in the free agency thing, you got to get a hair parent to Travis Kelsey. Whether, you know, throw numbers at it. Whether it, you know, we don't know if it's Noah Gray. We don't know if it's Jody Forsen. With Jody's, you know, Jody coming off an injury, Noah Gray being an unknown, you might want to get another tight end to be the hair parent to Travis Kelsey because he's getting older. He'll be 33 this year, I think, 33 or 34 this year. So, you know, basically he's saying we're retooling, we're reing up, but we still with Patrick Mahomes and with Andy Reid as our head coach and his coaching staff, we are not, this is not by means of a reset. This is just a retooling to get better at, at various 
positions. Um, he also talked about what does he feel about the value of defensive end and corner in this draft? I think that they're both up there, you know, and and it, it just comes down to, you know, our selection and where we value the guy. Um, I, I think that they're both there neck and neck in regards to what we feel need-wise. So um, we've had great dialogue. In fact, uh, running late for this meeting, we, we were in there with the defensive staff, and usually the, the Friday before the draft, we, we go through everything. So we actually just wrapped that up, and, you know, we, we did have some actually those questions of, of comparing, you know, those positions and, and where we'd be. But um, I don't think – I think that there's a need to get better at all levels, and I think that there's um, – certainly a high priority on both the end and corner and, and I think we'll um, you know being hopefully with these picks being in a position to, to add both of those positions so basically so you hear that you know defensive end and corner are a high priority in this draft for the Kansas City Chiefs um, I'm hoping that they do get a defensive end in the first round um, prioritize a defensive end um, I put out a uh mock draft and if you see my my mock draft i end up picking a defensive end uh Bafe, i think it's Bafe mayo and cameron thomas in the, i think it was the second round i picked cameron thomas but i picked two i doubled down on defensive end because we i believe we got to throw numbers at it um you got to get you got to get a guy who can start and you got to get a guy who can be in the rotation because next year frank clark is probably coming off the books so you definitely need to get not only draft one to start this year opposite of Frank Clark, but you got to get somebody who can step in for Frank Clark when Frank Clark leaves. So definitely defensive end and corner are a high priority for this uh, offense, uh, for this defense to get better. He also got he got a little bit more in depth with defensive end, but he also talked about wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, I mean the edge class is. Um is deep. I think there's a lot of talented players there, and there's some numbers, um, obviously one through through two. So I think the numbers play um, into your equation. The receiver class um, is it's unique this year because you have some different types of skill sets, um, and you guys know the top guys. You know you have a vertical guy, you have a bigger guy, you have a shifty guy, and you throw in some injuries and some long-term, you know, um, analysis of where they'll be. Um, it kind of throws a little bit of a wild card into you know, their final grade and where you take them. But um, like every year, you're always going to have the, with those skill positions. You're going to have, um, you know, the top guys that everyone will kind of nitpick and, and, you know, what's best for you in there. But, but those guys are all talented at the top. Then there's another pocket of guys in the second round. And then like every year, you know, those later rounds, there are a ton of, you know, beauties in the eye of the beholder type deal and, and the vision, the scheme, the fit um, all comes into play. And we spent obviously a ton of time with that. Um, the running back class this year, it's, it's really crazy because when you factor in that COVID year last year um, and some of the guys that stayed in school, it's there is – I've never seen such a large group of, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh round running backs. And it's like the names go from the top of the ceiling down to the bottom. So there'll certainly be – I told the guys, my prediction is there'll be a 1,000-yard rusher that is an undrafted free agent or seventh round pick just by the sheer volume of numbers. But with those skilled positions, there's always – pockets and groups and ways and um just takes a a lot of work to go through with the, the coaching staff but um you know we're able to do that and and i would say about 95 percent of our board is done now we're just cleaning up some of the um the late round stuff so um i think we have a good plan and we're excited uh so basically you know he he feels pretty good about the defensive end and the wide receiver position he also mentioned running back in the later rounds so Look for the Kansas City Chiefs to – I wouldn't be surprised if he packaged some of those seventh-round picks and move up or even move back in the four, one of those fourth-round picks, move back to a fifth round, to the sixth round, get a, get a running back. Um, he has – he feels high value. He said – he just said that he feels like in the seventh or – he's going to be a seventh-round or undrafted free agent that's going to be a thousand-yard thousand rusher. So – you see that Brett Veach is going to take a running back in the later rounds to throw numbers at that. You know, they do running back by committee. CEH is, is the starter. They just signed Rojo, who's a change of pace back. They're probably going to get another running back to uh, compete in this room. So be looking out for that. He also talked about players potentially falling um, 
on the board. Next week. I think there's guys in every round that we're secretly hoping um, that fall to you. Uh, I think what happens is is that's more likely the, the later the round. So, like, you know, uh, we would love, let's just say, uh, Hutchinson to fall to us at 30, but that won't happen. But when you get into the second or third round, then you, that comes into play. Like, we would love for these guys to fall. And as the draft goes on, the likelihood of guys that you loving that you have value in that particular round, the odds increase. Um, but that happens every round. So obviously, like I said, there's guys that we, we would we would love the Cincinnati corner to fall at 32, but that won't happen. Um, but again, once you get in the fourth and fifth round, that's when you know you have these wide discrepancies of league-wide views and how they feel about players. Um, everyone, when you talk about guys on your front board, um, we may be at 16, 18. Another team may be at 16 or 17, but. Typically around the league, I mean, it's going to be very close to being the same names. Um, by the time you get to round three and you ask teams, I mean, they could be just completely different. Um, so that's where uh, the likelihood of hoping a guy falls um, dramatically increases. Um, and as far as what to believe, I, I mean, I wouldn't believe anything. <laughs> so he, at the end, he also, you know, he was also asked, you know, how much of the reports out there, can, you know, concerning the draft, how much do you believe? And so he made, you know, he pretty much told him, you know, don't believe anything. A lot of this stuff is, you know, smoke and mirrors. Um, but it was interested him talking about, you know, you know, the consensus is the, like he said in his board, they have what, 16 to 18 players that they value high in the first round. And the consensus around the league is that most teams have those 16 to 18 players you know, on their board. Um, now, the realistic thing is, you know, with the Chiefs, they're always picking in the 30s. Um, it's hard, you know, the value of, the, you know, usually those players are gone before they, you know, get to the 30s. You know, yeah, we would love for Aiden, Hitch, uh, Aiden Hitchinson or a Kyron Thibodeau or a Sauce Gardner or Derek Stingley to move, you know, to fall to us, Jameis Williams, you know, Chris Olaf to, to fall to us, but realistically that's not going to happen. So, you know, in the in but in the first, you know, in the first round, they value the same type. Each team values probably the same players the same way. But when you get into the later rounds it's different, you know, guys, you know, cause it comes down to scheme fit and, you know, other factors, you know, that they value, you know, teams deviate and may have different, you know, course values of what they feel a, a player fits for them in those later rounds. Uh, he also talked about um, the possibility, uh, it, you know, teams are that are quarterback hungry, hungry who want a quarterback on that fifth year option, the possibility of moving back. No, I think that it certainly comes into play when you talk about quarterbacks and, and the fifth-year option for quarterbacks is something that, um, I mean, having that option is, is important for all players, but none more so than a quarterback. So I think that there's certainly value in there that, um, like you mentioned, there will be value from um, that early second to middle three. And, and if a team is motivated to get a quarterback that maybe they just felt like it was a little high at maybe the top – you know, top three, four, five picks or whatever, but they're coming right back around in two, and, and you know, they, they still like the guy. The guy's still on the board. Um, it, it's certainly very likely that they're going to call, and they're going to call a team that has multiple picks, you know, because it, it'd probably be easier to work with a team like that. But you would think that if a quarterback that they have a liking to is still there, um, that they would be more motivated to get that fifth year than any other skill position. So, but you know, pretty much, you know, a team, you know, with the Chiefs having multiple picks, there is a possibility that the Saints or um, even the Detroit Lions, uh, you know, a team, Pittsburgh Steelers, somebody who may not want to pick a quarterback in the early rounds, but in that back end of the of, of the first round may want to jump back in and say, hey, we want a quarterback, let's work out a deal. And the Kansas City Chiefs could be a team um, that can get that phone call from another team to say, hey, we want to move back into the first round to get the quarterback of the future and to get that fifth-year option. He also talked about, you know, his dialogue with Spags. Um, when it comes to the defensive end, um, what is their dialogue like, like when they, you know, value, you know, the prospects that they like? No, I think it's just um, – it's just – 
you know, consistent dialogue and 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 kind of going through um, draft histories, our roster. You know, this is where the the self evaluation of our own team and our self scouting comes into play. Um, where we came short, you know, where we can get better, how we can get deeper. But I think it's it, it's. It, it's another one of those scenarios where it's a it's a slow evolution, but it's bits of information over a year that kind of accumulates. Um, but more than anything, it's 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 you know constant communication. We have good dialogue. It comes up a lot with some of the 34 rushers where they're not really ideal scheme fits. But at the end of the day, I mean, if you can get guys that can rush a quarterback. Um, you know, let's find a way that we can you know utilize them and implement them. So we do get into a lot of you know visionary type discussions in regards to if we bring this guy yeah there may be limitations on reducing him and playing him down but um whether it be you know standing him up and playing him in a joker type role or just as a pure dpr you know how do we see that how do we fit that and those conversations go into more conversations with the college staff and their ability to learn and retain so um it's just exchanging ideas and just getting to a point where um there's always a little give and take but getting to the point where everyone feels comfortable and sees the vision together so basically, you know, just trying to get on the same page when it comes to drafting. And I'm sure it's like that with any player. But when it comes to, the, you know, him having dialogue with Spags, like he said, is give or take. Because, you know, Veach may like some, you know, he might like a certain guy. But in, in Spags, you know, with his scheme, he likes certain guys. You know, he likes the bigger type defensive end, not more, not really the athlete, you know, type guy. He likes the big muscular power type defensive end but Veach is like you know we gotta evolve in our stance and there might be a guy who may not be the type of dude that Spags like but let's get this athlete who's you know a talent that you possibly can put in this scheme and he could be an effective pass rusher which the Kansas City Chiefs desperately need they need a pass rusher they need a guy who can get out to the quarterback uh, with Chris Jones and you know possibly a healthier Frank Clark. Um, you know, if you listen to the press conference with Andy Reid, he talked about Frank Clark, you know, coming in this offseason with a better state of mind and, you know, coming in healthier and, you know, you know, working on his body. But pertaining to this draft, you know, and Spags and his defensive ends, basically he's just saying, like, it's got to be a little give and take when it comes to that. Excuse me. Ooh, I thought I'd sneeze. Um, so then he talks about how many players um, do they have on their board all together. <coughs> Woo, all together on this uh, on their board. That was the only number I wrote down because I was like, someone's gonna ask me this question. <laughs> so it was, you know, my um, my cap guys keep keep a log of that, and we get into these meetings, and so I'm not looking at every number every single day. And uh, it's funny because I was leaving to come down here, and I said to, to Chris Shea, I said, how many numbers? Because somebody's going to ask me this. So we have 194, and that is a lot more than it was from, from certainly last year with the COVID year, and it's a little bit more than most years, which makes sense given the fact that so many guys were able to come back again next year with COVID. So there's a lot of numbers, but we have a lot of picks, so I think it's okay that we have a few extra numbers this year. So 194 prospects are on their board, you know, going from first round to the seventh round now. Of course, they're not going to get all 194. Even Adam Teicher made a, you know, a comment saying that when Dorsey was there, um, if you can get it down to 120, that's even good. And Brett Veach basically said, yeah, you know, that would be good. But, you know, that's, you know, that's not realistic. So um, he also was asked, um, how different is this offseason compared to last year? having the 12 picks and the amount of cap space that the Kansas City Chiefs have, how different is it from this year, from last year? Yeah, I mean, I think just the whole process has been a lot more intense um, because of the number of picks, uh, the number of players, and then the process being back to normal. So I think I mentioned it right at the beginning of the press conference where last few years it was um, tape and Zoom calls. And this year, it's um, guys were flying back in for pre-combine meetings. Well, first we had uh, free agency meetings to pre-combine meetings to find the combine to meet the players there. Uh, then to going out to pro days and having players come in here and our coaches go out and work them out. So there was a lot of moving parts this year, and it was it was like obviously years in years past, but not having that for two years and then having all these picks and then having 
everything just open up and unleash on us was a lot of work. But again, that's uh, credit to the staff and, and the coaches um, just putting in the extra hours of work. My staff coming in earlier and, and flying out here, uh, you know, uh, weeks ahead of time just to make sure we have all these bases covered with this amount of picks. So um, we feel really good about it. But again, I don't think we'd be there, you know, if not for the great work by the staff I have and the coaching staff. So, you know, basically, you know, last year, the last few years, you know, with the COVID situation, it was probably a little harder to evaluate talent. Um, and the cap was different because due to, you know, people not really coming to the games. Last year was a little different. Uh, people were able to come to the games. But the year before that, you know, you know, you know, it was limited. You know, certain certain teams – you know, like the Kansas City Chiefs, I think they was up to like 25% uh, capacity. You know, 25% people could come to the game. Um, and other teams had other rules. Some, a lot, most teams didn't have fans in the stands. Um, so it affected the cap space. And so the cap was low last year. And, and it, you know, in the, so it, it, you know, it was harder to maneuver money and go get guys or, you know, re sign this person and, you know, going to free agency, you know, and try to get this guy because they didn't have enough money. So, but this year you got 12 picks. I think they're at probably like 18, 17 million in cap space. They, when they traded Tyreek, they was up to like damn near 38, 30 million, uh, it's like 28 million, but now they're down to 17 uh, with some of the players they've picked up, you know, in the process, MVS, Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, 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 Rojo, uh, uh, Justin Reed, and, you know, so on and so forth, uh, all the players that they have uh, accumulated in the offseason. He was also asked, you know, because that is, this is, you know, with the trade of Tyreek Hill, receiver is a big uh, conversation when it comes to this team. Um, he was asked about how he feels about the depth a wide receiver in this draft. No, I think, I mean, we feel like we're in a good spot. And, and, and again, having 12 picks, you're going to have flexibility to add on both sides of the fo football. And, and if there's a receiver that makes sense and, in, in, you know, obviously in any of these rounds, um, you know, that's the, the beauty of having so many picks. But I think um, when you have Kelsey and a guy like Juju, I think you have a really good, um, uh, you really have good advantages and matchups in the intermediate game, and, and certainly McColl and Marquez can, can stretch the field. Um, Clyde's healthy. This is the first full offseason he's going to have, and I know that he's spoken about that and just, you know, some of the injuries and the issues he's had now that he's healthy. And then you throw in a guy that um, we really liked in the process a few years ago in, in, in Rojo that we think he adds a, another element. And so, I mean, we feel really good about our skill players. Um, certainly we have a talented offensive line, and now we have an opportunity to add Mo more players on on again both sides but i mean you know offensive line depth is good in this draft so we feel like we can add depth and youth there and and well i mean we'll certainly always look to add skill and talent around pat and and you know look forward to doing that so basically he you know he likes what he sees in this receiver draft and if there's a guy that you know hope you know that they like they will go up and get him and if the board falls right and there's a receiver that they value that might be there at 29 or 30 so um there is a lot of depth in this wide receiver draft pool you know um there there is the top tier guys of course you got your Garrett Wilson your Clyde Chris Olaf, your Jamison Williams, and Trey Traylon Burks is up in there. Um, um, Drake London, just to name a few. Um, but then there's the other tiers of the, the George Pickens, the John Meachies, uh, a Christian Watson, Sky Moore. You know, it, it's a deep receiver pool, um, and I, I I believe that the Kansas City Chiefs are not going to just get one receiver. I think they get two. One in the first round and one in probably like the third or fourth round. So don't be surprised if they double dip at wide receiver this year. Now, he was also asked, why in past drafts have the Kansas City Chiefs not, you know, Brett Veach in particular, why he hasn't valued getting a first round corner or a second round, early round corner. You know, most of the corners that we have, like LeJarius Sneed, who's a fourth round 
pick. Uh, Fenton, I think he was a fifth round pick. Um, so yeah, DeAndre Baker, you know he, you know he's a former first round pick, but you know due to troubles and off season stuff, he was cut from the Giants when we picked him up. Um, but why doesn't he not value getting an early round corner? I think it's more circumstance and limited pool. I think that um, most people with roster construction is quarterback and then O-line and then D-line and corner. I mean, I think that that's a general, like, league consensus, and I think we adhere to most of those um, conceptual concepts. So I I just think that, you know, and I think I said this after the season, um, you know, when you have higher name um, profile players on your team and, you know, you're limited, and then when you're – picking 30, 31, 32 every year. I mean, those corners go off really quick. And then you could just come into that age-old question, you know, I mean, are you over, you know, you try not to take a third-round corner at the top of two or, the, you know, the second-round corner. You know, it, inevitably, though, if you only have 16 games on the board, you're always reaching a little bit. So it's just that price point. But I think it's, I mean, 90% just circumstantial. I mean, if you can get a good, long, athletic corner, I mean, you're going to get one of those guys all day. It just it hadn't worked out. And, and I think sometimes what gets lost in translation, too, is, um, names that people see on a draft server or, uh, you know, what they don't factor into is, like, you know, the things that you don't see. So we'll all see the 40, right, and we'll see the test numbers in the tape. And we can all sit here and maybe watch a guy and agree that he's good. But there are interviews that take place, and there are background checks that take place, and there are injury um you know, medical records that take place. And so, you know, sometimes it's like, well, we passed on X, Y, and Z. Well, like, he was off our board. Like, it wasn't in the discussion because of this reason, that reason. And, and it happens every year. Um, and no one's going to say who's off their board, and, you know, we wouldn't do that. But um, but those are some of the things that I think, other than, you know, picking 30 is a dynamic. Not having a ton of cap space because of the high-profile players we have is a dynamic. The fact that corners cost $16 million a year is a dynamic. And then the fact that there may be sure numbers of just names you're looking at, but are those guys all on our board? Or did some of those guys for some reason, and maybe it's the wrong reason by us. I mean, there's times that we make mistakes on character, medical. I mean, that all happens too. But there are dynamics that, you, you know, you have to have core philosophies and stick by them or you're always chasing your tail. So um, I would say it's more circumstantial. So, you know, pretty much he's talking about that the cornerback position is kind of tricky because, you know, the value of a guy. You don't want to reach for a guy in the first round who has a second or third round grade just for the sake of having a corner. Um, most of the cor- good, most of the very good, which is true, you're going to see it in this draft, Sauce Gardner, uh, uh, Derek Stingley Jr. Uh, those are the consensus top-tier corners in this draft there's some other guys in this draft the kyler gordon's um uh, uh, uh what's his name uh elam um Kyer elam is another corner that's you know highly touted and there's some other corners and you know in, in the later rounds but in the first round those are the four names that you hear consistently and you know see in mock drafts mock in the first round um andrew booth Junior, who, you know, is coming off an injury, so is trying to trade. He's talented, but he's coming off an injury. And if it wasn't for that injury, he'd probably be in that mix, too. Don't be surprised if he gets picked in the later back half of the draft. But corner is just tricky. It's hard. And then also he's factoring the um, the money. You know, you got to pay a corner $16, $17 um, You saw uh, Denzel Ward just got a $100 million contract. Um, and you know, character issues, uh, did they interview good, um, medicals, you know, just like I said with Andrew Booth, you know, there are many various factors of why Veach probably looks at corner and is like, okay, the top tier. And then there's a big drop off. So that's why he doesn't value corner probably in the earlier rounds. He, he values you more in the middle round. So. He also got into the Tyreek Hill in the process of how it went from, you know, almost getting a deal done to trading him away. You know, I think it it did to an extent. I I think certainly, um, you know, the market kind of guides, you know, the delays or the the efficiency of, of how things go. So I think once the receiver deals start coming in, 
you know, you knew it would be a little tricky. Um, when we looked at this offseason, you know, I think on our agenda was, um, you know, to add talent um, to the defensive side, whether it be defensive line or whether it be in the secondary, and take care of Tyreek. And it became obvious as the free agency started that uh, it was going to be tough to do both. So, you know, you're faced with the decision. Do you dip into the older veteran pass rush market? Um, if you do that, then you're – how are you going to pay Tyreek? And then how does Tyreek feel about that? Um, if you do the Tyreek thing, then, you know, you're limited in regards to your resources being able to be spent on defense plus future. Um, with that type of deal, it would be impacted to, a, you know, a great deal. So when we took a step back and we figured, well, how are we going to get better on both sides? And, and, you know, that's why we decided it was, it was best for us and really best for Tyreek getting that contract. So it, it was kind of a win-win in that situation. Um, again, it's hard to go out there and sign uh, a veteran pass rusher, good players, um, but at that level, um, you probably couldn't do anything with Tyreek, and then how would he handle that, and we wouldn't do that. And at the same time, if you do that with Tyreek, again, you're limited in what you can do. So it was kind of a best-case scenario for us. So basically he said, you know, you know, they had a number for Tyreek Hill. Those on, you know, the, you know, there's mixed reports, but the real report was they were going to sign Tyreek Hill. They wanted him at like $22 million probably 23 million a year. Like we all know that, you know, the market had already been messed up by Christian Kirk's deal from the Jaguars. He got 84 million, four years, you know, which was crazy paying a guy who's probably a second, maybe third, he's probably a second, third receiver and giving him 84 million. Then uh, the Devontae Adams deal came in and which, He's, you know, represented by Drew Rosenhaus, and then Tyreek Hill is represented by Drew Rosenhaus, and, before, you know, he was about to sign his deal that he was going to get from Kansas City. They were going to make him one of the highest paid, but Drew Rosenhaus probably said, I can make you the highest paid, and that's when things changed, um, and, you know, like I said, the Chiefs had their number, and they couldn't just pay him all the money um, and then not have the resources to go get, you know, people from free agency and the draft. Um, I know people, fans have mixed bags on, you know, how free agency has went. They ain't really, you know, they, they've got, you know, free agents here and there, but they didn't get, you know, on the defensive side, they let some of the more deep, you know, highly touted defensive ends go to other teams and corner, uh, Stefan Gilmore. Um, you know, a lot of people wanted him, um, so, you know, free agency hasn't gone the way that something most fans want. But, like he said, you know, unfortunately, I believe that they were trying to wait for the Tyreek Hill deal to get done, and then they were going to dip into free agency. But, unfortunately, it got prolonged, and it was a delay. So, <clears throat> um, he also talked about, you know, if the deal wasn't done, you know, they, st- they played the what-if deal, like the what-if thing, you know. What if he doesn't sign the deal? We have to have a plan B. And for him. I think, you know, in this day and age with, with players and with especially given our cap and, and the amount of talent we have on our team, it's always something that we have in our back of my mind, like like what if, right? So I think before we go in to any negotiation, I think there's always um, – and I think we do a great job of just going over the what ifs. I mean, we've gone over it like just for the draft and draft, like what if, you know. I mean, there's, there's so many. So when you talk about free agency and contracts of that magnitude, in, in the back of your mind, you always have to – So basically he's saying, you know, you got to play the what if. You know, if Tyreek Hill doesn't sign this deal, we got to have a plan B. We got to have a plan C. We got to have a plan D. So, you know – the team always has a backup plan just in case said player doesn't sign the deal. Um, he also talked about scheme. You know, we, you know, in the offseason with wide receiver, we picked up Juju. We picked up MVS, who are bigger, you know, wide receivers. MVS is 6'4", probably 2'10", 215. You know, Juju's a bigger wide receiver, physical guys. Or is there going to be a scheme change with this offense? So, like, when you trade Tyreek, you know, there's always the, you know, light components or how you're going to fill it. And and I guess on one end, it's, it's very hard to replicate, you know, a, a talent like Tyreek Hill. Um, but I also think that sometimes um, that there's that mindset or, or, or idea that, um, you know, 
or forgetting, I guess, how, how great of a coach Andy Reid is. I mean, he's one with all type of quarterbacks and all different offensive schemes, and um, our staff is, is very dynamic. And, and, and look, we had Tyreek Hill, and we were able to implement a lot of RPO stuff and a lot of vertical attack stuff, but it doesn't mean when you have a talent like Pat Mahomes and a, and a Hall of Fame coach like Andy that, you know, you can't, you know, rewire and retweak, you know, your offense and how you do things. And there's multiple ways that, you know, we've scored points over the years. And um, would you like to find someone like Tyree? Yeah, but I think every team would. If you don't, I mean, there's many ways to win games. And, and um, our offense, I think, is extremely uh, flexible. And I think a lot more flexible than what people think. And I think for for us and for what we do, um, we're just going to go out there and collect good players and they might not be 4-2 guys, but if they're good football players, we're going to put them in a position to make plays and, and win a lot of games. So, you know, there's no replacing Tyreek Hill. We all know that Tyreek Hill is a one-of-one type of player, 4-2, Olympic speed, in pads. Nobody's never seen a Tyreek Hill before. But that does not mean that this team can't get good uh, players on this offense and, and still uh, succeed in this league. Um, there are other teams that don't have Tyreek Hill who have succeeded in this league. Um, so they have an opportunity to still retool on both sides of the football. But particularly on this offense, like he said, you have Andy Reid, who is one of the greatest minds when it comes to offense. The man is an offensive genius. Man, You may not like some of the stuff that you know he does on the game day, but when it comes to scheming up and, and getting players open, there's nobody better than Andy Reid. He's been duplicated, copied, whatever you want to say in this league numerous of times. You've seen other teams take from his scheme, take from take plays from him and duplicate it and, you know, do it, you know, try to do it themselves. And it usually doesn't look the same. Because Andy Reid is just a mastermind. Plus, you add Eric the Enemy. You add, now you're bringing back Matt Nagy, who's known to be very creative in his, you know, way he schemes things up. You know, so I believe this offense will be fine. Last year, I believe it was good for uh, Patrick Mahomes to learn how to move the ball down the field methodically because of the too high safety scheme. I think he's going to be better this year. He'll be able to, you know, and plus he's building a rapport with his receivers out there in, in Texas with Juju, MVS, Miko, all of them out there in Texas getting work. Um, I believe that, you know, last year was, you know, a good learning lesson for him in the evolution of Patrick Mahomes. And I think we're going to see a, a, a next level of Patrick Mahomes moving the ball down the field in a different way, but still, using that arm to take shots down the field with the Mikos, with the MVSs, and whatever said receiver that we get in the draft, um, I believe that it will be a guy who can stretch the field. So he also talked about handling the blowback of trading a Tyreek Hill or any major moves that they make. Yeah, I, you know, it does. I And that's a good question, but I think um, – I, I see where the question is coming from, but I think it, it's more of a slower evolution – where it's, you know, here are the talks, and they're going in this direction one day. And then they slowly start to creep, and then, and then by the time you actually get to it, it's, it's kind of, it's not one of those, as fans or media would see it, it would get dropped on a day, be like, whoa, that's a lot. But that was more of a, of, of a weeks of the evolution kind of shifting from a, an extension to maybe a trade to, it, we're, and this is going to happen. So it, it's a little bit more um, played out for us. So when it does drop, it's it's already been flushed through our system for weeks or, you know, if, if. And also, you know, he also talked about, you know, you know, when, you know, the, the white noise of hearing people on the radio talk about, you know, you trading away Tyreek Hill and how everybody felt the blow of it and they didn't like it. So <laughs> this is his answer to when that happens. More. I, I think you just turn the radio off, and, and, and <laughs> that's what you do. And so my first year, you know, you'd be, like, looking at it. Now it's like, you know, it, you, you learn quickly that whether you do something good or bad, it's, you know, it, it is what it is. And, you know, um, our job is to just, you know, put the blinders on and go to work and, and you know, work hard and, and do the work and, and communicate with our staff and just do whatever we feel is best and, um, you know, just. So, 
you know, basically he has to put the blinders on as a, you know, as a GM and as a staff. They're not going to make moves. Every move that the Kansas City Chiefs make, we're not going to like. We didn't like the Tyreek Hill move. We, you know, there's various moves throughout the history of, uh, of, of the Kansas City Chiefs that we may not have liked. But at the end of the day, as a GM and as a staff, they have to keep going. They can't, their job doesn't stop. So they have to keep going. They got to put blinders to it. And when they make a decision for better or for worse, they got to stick with it. You know, once they make that move, they got to stick to their guns. So, um, and that's what you want in your GM, regardless if you may not agree with it, you want him to be confident in the moves that they make as a staff and as a GM. Um, he also gave an introspective viewpoint on, you know, as as the years have gone on and him being a GM, you know, his outlook of being a GM. Yeah, I think, I mean, just in general in this league, I mean, it's, it's I, I joke with the guys all the time. I, I always thought, like, if you become a GM and, and won a Super Bowl, it's like icing on the cake and, you know, stress-free life. And it's the complete opposite. You know, every year you feel like it's not good enough. So I think just in general, you know, working in this profession um, and, and, you know, being in this league, it, it they, you, everyone literally forgets what you did the year before. And it's every year it's got to be something brand new and something different. And um, it, it motivates us. And, and uh, you know, we're certainly fortunate that we have guys that are wired to come in and compete every day. Um, and, you know, talking to Pat every day and seeing the way he's working with those guys out there is, is certainly um, another motivating factor. I mean, um, but the pressures and the expectations are there, whether you won a Super Bowl the year before or whether you stink. I mean, there's still pressure to win, so I think we feel it all the time. So, basically, he's saying, like, look, um, we got to, you know, gotta get this thing better every year. We always feel like we can get better every year, and, you know, we hear you. You know, it, it, Brett Beach is pretty much saying we hear the fans, we hear the media, um, and we don't we put more pressure on ourselves than you guys do, because we always trying to get better, regardless if you like, you know, you feel like they do or do not. As a fan, like I said, he, you know, he's basically saying like, look, it's not, you know, each year is not good enough. Um, it's a what have you done for me lately, league? Yes, we went to four straight AFC Championship games. But the last thing you remember is that second half against the Bengals, which is not good enough. So, um, and that's always going to be in the back of Chiefs for Kingdom's mindset going into the season and going into the playoffs. Will they have a, you know, they cannot have another second half. Now, look, are the Chiefs going to play perfect every game? No, they're going to have a bad game here and there. Pat's going to have a bad game. You know, the defense is going to have – we're used to the defense having bad games. Um, but um, they got to just be more consistent in the level of play that they maintain to being a Super Bowl caliber type team. Um, he also talked about uh, uh, with the market, how does he decide when to uh, – trade for a player or, you know, dip in the free agency for, for big market players, his, you know, his, his viewpoints on that. Well, yeah. And I just think it, it, it goes back to the, um, the landscape of, you know, your, your cash and cap situation in the short and long term. And I think that there will be times and, um, certainly this was a time where we decided to alter the course of action and, and to rely on draft picks, but I think it'll come full circle again where, you know, we're, we're probably being aggressive, but I think um, we're always going to operate with the mindset of having flexibility. And I think those type of questions are more of a case by case situation and, and where the team is and, and what we feel is available to us in a particular year. I mean, some years you may feel like you can get some, something similar um, with a lesser trade or in the draft. And some years you feel like um, what's out there in free agency is just you can't replicate something like that. So you have to be a little bit more bold and more aggressive. And, um, you know, the scheme and, you know, your depth, everything comes into play. So it, it, it's a case-by-case case example. And I, I just think you have to be flexible year in and year out. So basically he's saying, you know, it depends on, you know, what's out there. You know, if you got a top-tier guy that you can't duplicate that play. You can't duplicate T.J. Watt. And I, that's just an example. I know you got a new deal. You can't duplicate Nick Bosa. You can't duplicate uh, uh, um, 
a, a, a Jalen Ramsey. You can't duplicate Darius Slay. You can't duplicate those guys because they are top tier corners and defensive ends, and you know they're very Justin Jefferson, Jefferson at wide receiver. Uh, you know, guys like that, you cannot duplicate. You got to go play, pay big money and go get them or trade for them if they're available. And or if they don't feel like they need to do that, they can get a similar guy on a lesser trade for a third or fourth round on a different team who basically does the same thing. Um, they'll do that or they'll go get the same guy in the draft. So he's basically saying like, you know, it just depends on how the market looks and what type of valuable player is out there in free agency or available for trade. So um, he also talked you know, talked about, you know, his dialogue in the offseason with Patrick Mahomes, you know, concerning the offseason and, his, you know, his dialogue with him, talking to him about the Tyreek Hill trade. No, I mean, we, we, we talk all the time, and, you know, most of it is about um, – you know the off-season program and the workouts, and he's uh, he, he's getting after it. And I know he's excited. Last year, you know, with the injury, it was a little bit rough to get out there and get moving and, and develop a rapport with some of the new guys. This year's a lot different, where he's healthier, and I know he has a group of guys down there uh, in Texas working out with him every day. So we're able to talk about some of the stuff he's seeing. Obviously, we know some of the guys like the Kelseys and the Clydes and what they look like, but just his input on the Rojos and the Juju's and the uh, Valdez Scantlings, how they're doing, how they're coming along, is great for us in regards to you know uh, even for the draft and how this thing's coming together and what he's thinking. So the dialogue's been there. Um, and certainly uh, going back to the Tyreek thing, I mean, that was something that, you know, we had kind of went through the scenarios and just put it on his radar. And Pat's not one of the guys that's calling and saying, what's going on, what's going on? But, you know, we just had that relationship where it, it's kind of a quick phone call. Hey, listen, this is kind of where this thing's going. And here, here's kind of what, the information looks like and you know just uh don't need to be surprised and um he gets it he'll be a guy that i know his his wife is involved with the soccer team but he'll be an owner or something because he understands you know broad ideas and concepts and draft picks and there's a lot of times he sounds like clark like let's keep all of our picks you know so. <laughs> so he's very in tune with patrick mahomes you know he, he keeps that he say they speak all the time um you know of course, they have dialogue with, you know, if you heard Patrick talk last week, their um, off-season regiment is in t in Tyler, Texas. Uh, they're out there working out with the offense. The defense is doing their thing. Um, and and Andy Reid and, and Veach and all of them are trusting them. Uh, Eric Bieniemy, they trust them to handle it the right way. And, you know, they're just keeping dialogue through, uh, uh, through virtual. Um, um, speaking through uh, Zoom and things like that. Um, and so um, he, he keeps the dialogue. And then with the Tyreek Hill situation, they he kept, you know, hey, this is what's happening. Look, um, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to sign into an extension, so we're going to have to end up trading him. And I'm sure Patrick Mahomes is like, okay. You know, he, I believe Patrick believes he, you know, it's unfortunate, yeah, that Tyreek Hill is hard to replace. You cannot replace a Tyreek Hill. And I'm sure he would rather keep Tyreek Hill, but at the same time, uh, Patrick Mahomes has confidence in himself and the teammates, other teammates with the Travis Kelsey's and, you know, the signing of Juju and MVS. Um, I, I, I believe that, and he believes he has faith in his organization that they will put the right players around him. They've always picked Pat first. Um, they, when they saw in Sammy Watkins, they, you know, they tried to get the most weapons around him. Even last year, they tried to sign Juju to get another receiver in here. But Juju ended up signing back with Pittsburgh. Um, but they've always tried to uh, make sure that Pat is happy with the resources that he has around him. Um, so then they, he was asked, you know, they asked Brett Veach, you know, with Patrick's uh, contract, you know, the flexibility of his contract, being able to convert his base salary to a signing bonus salary um, to create cap space, how does that help building the team? Uh, yeah, I, I think that, again, like the question about uh, Tyree Kill and, you know, did you go into that negotiation with, 
I, I think similar to, to that contract too. That's we look at all the okay, um, our options, what each option means, what would be the best option, and so that's something that you know that there's uh, we've preserved and you know we can work with now. I think you're always driven to see if you can make other things work, and that was one of those things that we talked about and just didn't make sense. Um, but we do have some flexibility now as that contract continues to grow and, and it, it is long, so um, that's something that we have and and we'll be able to utilize to, again, continue to surround Pat with talent. So, you know, basically what I just said, you know, the, with his contract, he's able to, you know, they're able to have the flexibility to convert his money so he can, you know, they can get the resources on the birth, both sides of the football, whether it be a wide receiver in the, in the free agency, uh, a defensive end, you know, whatever. They're able to convert his money and, and, and work his contract in a way you know, and he left his contract open because let's be real. Patrick Mahomes could have got a 10 year, probably, you know, 500 million guaranteed. But, you know, <clears throat> he decided to leave some money on the table because Patrick understands. Uh, and I'm pretty for sure he learned this from Tom Brady that, you know, yes, I can get all this money, but I'm going to get money in, in, in endorsements. And, and what he has, State Farm, and, and uh, was it, uh, uh, was he Reebok, Adidas, whatever, which one he's with, Oakley Shades, and various other, you know, endorsements that he have. Plus, he owns the Royals, and his wife owns the soccer team. And so, they, they he, uh, and then he comes from a, a, a household, you know, it helps that he came from a, 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 a household that had money. You know, his dad was a professional baseball player he wasn't broke <laughs> so I, I i believe patrick wasn't really concerned with the money is more so he's concerned with winning you know so he wants to win and the best course of action to win is what to get playmakers and get the best players on the team and the only way you can do that is having the flexibility of the cap and be able to work you know contracts convert money here and push money here and whatever and with Patrick Mahomes, you don't mind pushing money down the line because eventually that contract's going to get ripped up and they're going to work a new deal with Patrick Mahomes probably in the next few years or so. So that's pretty much, you know, you know, the, the luxury of having a Pat, that, that contract that Patrick signed. They also got into asking about Tyron Matthew. Um, uh, what ultimately happened why they didn't re-sign him back? I mean, you know how these things work, Adam, especially when you transition to the season into the off season. Um, we certainly had um, broad concept discussions with Tyron um, prior to last preseason. Um, and, you know, when you have those kind of broad concept discussions, um, to the kids' credit um, and to his defense, I mean, those are usually geared toward team-friendly deals and what would make sense for us. And certainly we had a lot of hurdles with the contracts and the players on our team. So uh, when we approached him, you know, our expectations was that this was a long shot for us, but, you know, we'll, let's see if we can get something done. But totally understand his position and where he was. Um, and then you go into the season and, you know, the player and, and, and the organization knows that once it gets into that um, next phase of evaluation and then the process of having guys under contract and then holding uh, a franchise tag with Orlando Brown, it becomes tricky. And you have to be able to pivot and shift quickly, and, and, and we did that. But, um, you know, certainly can't say enough about Tyron and, and how we feel about him. So, you know, basically, you know, it just – unfortunately, it didn't work out. Um, they probably had a set number, just like Tyreek Hill. They probably had a set number to where they wanted to sign uh, Tyron Matthew. Matthew wants to be probably the highest-paid safety. So the Jamal Adams deal. He sees Harrison Smith's deal, so he wants to be probably one of the highest-paid safeties in Kansas City Chiefs with his age and his his decline in play. They probably were like, no, we'll, we'll just go a different direction, which they did with Justin Reed, who's a similar player, but he's a younger, bigger, faster type guy. Um, they went into a different direction and a cheaper deal. And uh, so that ultimately was the demise of not signing the Honey Badger. He also was asked, you know, is he surprised that he's not signed with a team yet? 
Um, no, because I think he's a guy that you know knows what he wants, and he's going to be selective. I'm sure he has some choices out there, but um, he's you know certainly is an accomplished player, and he's done a lot of things in this uh, in this league. So I, I don't think that he's in a rush to make a decision. I think he has choices, and and um, you know I, I think I'm not surprised just because um, when you've done the things that he's done and you won Super Bowls and been to Pro Bowls, um, I don't think. You know, there's a need to, to rush and, and take all the information in and spend time with your family and, and let the decision come to you as, a, as opposed to forcing a decision. So, you know, basically he's just, you know, look, uh, he believes that, you know, Tyron is just taking time, assessing his life, assessing everything around him, doing what's best with his family because let's be real, this is probably going to be Tyron Matthews' last team that he plays for if he, you know, if he plays this season. Um but, you know, if you see Tyron Matthew on Twitter, it looks like he's, you know, having the time of his life with his family. He's going to Disneyland. He's been to LSU, like, multiple times. Um, he's going around, you know, signing autographs, doing things in the community. Um, and, and, and you could, you know, he, he's put out, you know, interviews and things saying that it hurt, that he, he wanted to come back to be a chief. And, you know, he, he, he got, you know, real – deep into this community and loved it out here. Um, but it was just unfortunate that they couldn't sign him. But there was he was Veach was asked, is there a possibility to bring back Tyron Matthew? Everything's on the table. And, and I think um, that goes for how we operate um, at all levels. I mean, he's a player that, that we know and we love. And if there's a situation that, that you know, makes sense for him, you know, it's all about him now. Um, um, certainly we wouldn't close the door to that um, because of the way we feel about him so you know the doors i think it's i don't think it's i don't think it's wide open but you know if tyron matthew probably won and he he said it you know he would have took the uh the the justin reed deal which was like three years 30 30 some million uh 20 some million guarantee he said he would have he would have possibly took that deal but you know if I just believe that the Chiefs wanted to go into a different direction. They wanted to go younger at that position, um, especially with not just lead, letting him go, but letting Daniel Sorensen go. I think they want to go young with Justin Reed, Juan Thornhill, um, and probably a young player in the draft. So um, that's just my belief when it comes to that, you know, this, that safety position. They wanted to go young, and that's the theme of this offseason, getting younger, getting faster, getting better. Um, they also gave an uh, He also gave an update on um, uh, the whole uh, Orlando Brown situation. Orlando Brown was franchise tag, which is like $16 million, um, against the cap. Talking about, you know, him uh, trying to find a because he's looking for an agent or, you know, deciding to get an agent, represent himself. So he gave his viewpoints on that. Well, yeah, that's, that's interesting. He, so we did have dialogue with him, and then during the course of that dialogue, um, you know, he's taking a step back and and he's kind kind of redoing the agent process and um, and where we are right now. And in addition to the Tyree Kill trade um, with our cap and having flexibility now, uh, it allows us to take a step back, get through this draft. Um, we certainly anticipate that once the draft's over, I, I'm sure there'll be a point that there's a finale to, to him going out there and finding an agent. And then, um, I mean, we'll have a ton, ton of time to talk. And um, you guys know how the, you know, the Chris Jones deal went, where it was, you know, it, it was right there toward, toward the end. That's typically how a lot of these things go, where there's no rush on either side. On one end, the player likes to take their time and to really assess uh, the current and future markets. Um, on the flip side, the team is going through a draft process and they have a ton on their plate and they're trying to get through meetings and get through the board. Uh, and then usually after, everyone just takes a deep breath and the draft ends and there's a chunk of time in between the final mandatory OTAs. There's a lot of dialogue. So basically, you know, they just said, you know, they're just taking their time with the Orlando Brown. They're probably, like he said, you know, the Chris Brown, the Chris Joe, Chris Brown, the Chris Jones deal didn't get done until late. So, they're probably, you know, just going to slow it, let him take his time, go go get your, you know, make your decision. Whether you get an agent or you want to represent yourself, we're, we'll, we're right here waiting for you so we can work out a deal. And I do think a deal will get done late, a little bit before training camp. I think, you know, we will get a deal done. 
with uh, Orlando Brown Jr. So that's pretty much it with the Brett Veach uh, press conference. Uh, so you pretty much get an understanding of how he feels on the draft, um, whether, you know, be aggressive. You know, it, it just depends on how the board falls. Um, I believe that in this draft that they will be with that. One of those first round picks, I do believe that they will move up and go get a DN or either a DN wide receiver or corner in that order. I do think that I think they're going to value who is the best player at the whatever said position to get. So if they value Jermaine Johnson over whatever wide receiver is right there, they're going to go get Jermaine Johnson. If uh, a defensive end falls, let's say Kyron Thibodeau, which I don't anticipate, but he falls. I wouldn't be surprised if Chiefs may jump up and go get Kyron Thibodeau. But it just depends on how the board falls and how aggressive they want to be in this draft. And I do think they will be aggressive with one of those first-round picks. They'll probably package a first and a third or a first and a second, something to go get the player that they want to get. So, that is my time today. Uh, I know it's kind of a elongated uh, podcast today with the Brett Veach sound bites, but I just wanted to give you guys an idea of what Brett Veach is thinking. If you didn't listen to the, pro, uh, the, the press conference, for those of you who have listened to it, you know, thank you for your patience. But for those who didn't, you know, I've just wanted to give you an idea of what Brett Veach is thinking when it comes to the draft, to the Tyreek Hill situation, Tyra Matthew, Orlando Brown. Um, just giving you everything so you guys can be caught up on what's going on with your Kansas City Chiefs. So thank you guys. Um, if you are a new listener and you want to subscribe to us, you can listen to us on the following podcast apps. Uh, Anchor, uh, Spotify, Apple, Google, um, uh, was uh, Amazon Music. Uh, Stitcher, Breaker, wherever you listen to your podcast, streaming apps, streaming at uh, Arrowhead Chief Podcast is on there. Hit that subscribe. We're also on YouTube. I'm working on trying to get more content on my YouTube page, um, but subscribe to the YouTube page. Anyway, I'll probably start, you know, I'm going to put this episode up on there and start getting more consistent on my YouTube page. But Go ahead and subscribe. And if you want to follow us on social media, we are on all social media platforms, whether it be Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok. Follow us, man. We are on all of those platforms. Um, I will follow you back on Twitter and Instagram, um, Arrowhead Chief Podcast. And if you want to follow me, Chris, C-R-I-S underscore style 702. And on Instagram, it's just style. It's Chris you know, underscore style seven Oh two eighty two. So thank you. Chiefs kingdom. Hope y'all got to have a great rest of the week. Hope we have a great draft. I will be coming back later on this week to talk about the draft and our draft picks, especially the first and second round, second, third round with those picks that we have. And we will get into what these Kansas city chiefs are going to look like in the future. So thank you. Have a good day. Go chiefs.